With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to another episode of Scouser Tommy's where we try and give you a feel for what it's like to be a Liverpool supporter in and around the city of Liverpool, what it's like to be a fan of the best club in the world, in the best city in the world, but maybe maybe it's not like that on paper as far as best club in the world is concerned, but you know what, I'm not going to argue with anyone other than to say you're wrong, Liverpool are the best club in the world and it's not just about what's on the pitch, thankfully, because we need to get a little bit better than that, but there may be signs, there may be some... Who knows? I'm Jim Boardman, and and as always, I'm with Jay Reid. And, well, since we were last here, we've won one and lost one, and then we've got a big one to come. So, how are you feeling right now about the Reds, Jay? Um, Better than what it was Monday morning, put it that way. (laughs) You know, I I think we said last week, if we could could shake hands on a draw across these two games... Uh, in the league, Arsenal and City, we probably would have took it realistically. And to be fair, you know, if the officials do the jobs properly, we'd probably come away with at least a draw from the Emirates. Um, mm-hmm. So it felt like a bit of a kick in the teeth because I thought, on the whole, we played better than what we have done in recent times. Um, and, you know, the old rubber degree sort of thing. But when blatant handballs aren't going your way and soft penalties are given out quicker than you know, Christmas selection boxes, like Michael Oliver, (laughs) apparently he's the best referee in the Premier League. I beg to differ these days. And then, less said about the VAR flump that we've got again this weekend. He was on last weekend. who didn't have the balls to to make a decision. And, you know, we could be sitting here in a much handsome position. But as it was, you know, as we predicted, results for Napoli, and I went the way that we wanted, and we done the business in emphatic fashion, albeit against a, a poor Rangers team in terms of quality. But as the old saying goes, you can only beat what's in front of you, and we beat it well. And there was a lot of confidence boost to be taken from that game. So, you know, in the in the whole bigger grand scheme of things, going into this weekend, we could have been in a lot worse situation mentally, um, physically, without the greatest position, but. You know, we are where we are. We've got to play Man City twice across the season. And I suppose, you know, there is no good time to play them. So you just have to take your poison and just play them when you can, really. Yeah, that's it. I mean, it's, um, 
you, you, you can have a bad game against City if you've had loads of other good games. So, you know, maybe sometimes in the past that's been our, our issue with not winning the league is that we've played loads of games really well and we've played well against them but just not quite had the results, whether it's like an inch of, of paint in a goal line or something like that that's kind of ruined things for us. It's been sometimes those results, if you like, that's that's been the points or points difference that, that we've needed that could have maybe got us the league. I think we're going to be a lot further away than that this season. So I think winning that game would be something of a boost and give us something to sort of build on even if it's not for this season but for next and as you mentioned there the Champions League such a massive competition to us um, if the leagues are bread and butter I suppose the Champions League's the jam or whatever for it bad analogy but who cares it's it's an important trophy but before and there's plenty to talk about from that game in midweek against Rangers but that Arsenal game we, I don't think we could sort of ignore it much I think we've got to sort of talk about it and I think you're right I think Liverpool played well I think there were, it was sad that we were, you know, we let ourselves concede again so quickly and so easily. And that's something that needs, needs nailing down. But I think something I've kind of alluded to in the past is that, or recently at least, is that we're kind of reminding me a little bit of how we were under Brendan Rodgers, that we can concede lots of goals, but usually get more back and in the end come out of it with the result we want. But that can't always happen and we need to eradicate those those um, that lack of clean sheets. There's just too many games without clean sheets. But it was on at the weekend it was it was really was one of those examples of playing against twelve men or even thirteen because as everything you said about the VAR, I mean, why didn't he get the referee to come out and have a look at the screen? Why you know, how how did that handball not get given as a handball or at least for the ref to go and have a look at it? How I mean, I, I struggle to understand what the what the interpretation of that can be. And as for the penalty, I mean, even even Ian Wright, who's not known for his, um, let's say, impartial views and stuff, even I'm pretty, I believe even he said it was never a penalty. And it it just um, it just strikes me as amazing that refs can make mistakes. And okay, if he's the best in the Premier League, I know it's not a high bar, but I don't think he is the best in the Premier League. But even if he was, he can still make mistakes. I mean, are they frightened because he's supposedly the best that they can't say to him, go and have another look? Because there's no shame in being told to go and have another look. You go and have another look, and if you're wrong, you hold your hands up. If you're right, so be it. You wasted a minute or two, you know, looking at a screen, but then everyone's at least happy that you've you've taken the time to have a look. I mean, I don't, I don't sort of, I don't think I'd want to be a referee. You know, I don't think we've got the personality for one thing, but, you know, trying to make decisions when things are moving so fast and there's so many bodies in the way, so many legs flying around, you know, it can be difficult. But we've got that beauty now with the VAR. We've got that ability to have things slowed down and taken from different angles and just have another look, have a minute, have a, have, calm yourself down and, and see if it's right. And it's it's just sad that that's, that's what happened. Although I, I did say after the match that... These, these things happen in football, you have setbacks, whether it's a dodgy ref, whether it's one of those days where every every strike you have, the keeper's getting to, or you're just, just in the post instead of just on the inside of the post. You know, we are, we get days like that as football fans, we see it happen. But what I've always sort of appreciated from Klopp's sides is that they sort of shrug the shoulders and carry on. You know, they just put it down, so that's one of those things, right? There's still however long left in this game, still how many how many minutes does it take to make a chance you know and how many chances can we create and how many can we score from we've just got to get on with it get our heads up but I just saw heads down against Arsenal and it did feel like there was um, psychologically at that point that you know the heads were dropping not just physically in front of us in front of our eyes but just you know across the club it felt like there was a real sadness about the place that you know no matter what we do we've kind of we've got a bad season in front of us and 
okay, that may be changed a bit midweek, but that, I don't know if you spotted it, but that mentality is something I've not really seen under Klopp. Yeah, it was a bit odd, really, in terms of, as you say, like, we're not used to that, like, the whole mentality monster's fingers, as much as the media love to play on it, we've, we've been mentality midgets, really, we've not really done <laughs> anything that, um, to prove that, you know, there's an ounce of steel about us, and the only one who was sort of carrying that beacon of light ended up crocked at the weekend, and Luis Diaz, and I think we spoke about him before, and said, like, he does seem to be the one carrying the camp for us, and now maybe you could say Bobby Firmino is doing it in games, but, you know, if, if we're all honest with ourselves, he can pop in and out of games at times. He's he's found this knack of scoring, which is lovely, um, but on the actual physical eye test, Diaz was the one who, who just seemed to be giving us all, and others, whether they hold them back, whether they're, you know, fatigued in one way or another, you, there's, there's all sorts of stuff being banded about, but, you know, it doesn't take a genius to figure out that something isn't right, and it it, it is a bit worrying to see where, as you said, heads go down, and there is no good time to concede a goal, but first minute of the game and then last minute of the half before half time are pretty brutal in terms of, you know, the confidence of the team is, is is shot to pieces really at the beginning of the game we find our way back into it and we look decent and then you know the the, the second goal for me it's there's an opportunity for Thiago, there's an opportunity for Henderson just to just to wipe out the ball and wipe out the player and take a tactical foul, take a yellow card. Like the both experienced players, they should have just done that. And I think, you know, if we were all honest with ourselves, we would have stood there and went, you know what, that's a good foul to take. We anyone who's played football at any level knows sometimes you've just got to kick someone up in the air and just get your lads back in position and, and then you go again and you just take the yellow card or whatever. Um you know, for me that that's that's a mentality thing that it, it is a bit worrying, like we haven't got the balls to to stand up and fight and you know put our bodies on the line, sort of thing as they say. And I don't know. Maybe Wednesday night, as, as you know, give a confidence boost to quite a few players. I think as the game went on and the goals went in, you did, you know, you you seen players grow. You seen the shoulders drop in a good way in terms of relax and not be intense. And you know, the, the the obvious one is Mo Salah, but there was numerous individuals across the team where, you know, if there was a time to get some confidence back, you would need it going into this game at the weekend. So, yeah, it, it is, there's still a lot to be, be worried about. Um, and I don't think that's just going to disappear overnight. We all, you know, we're all sane enough to know that. it It's a long sort of thing that we need to figure out. The, the fall from where we were last season to where we are this season is, is pretty drastic. But, you know, if we can pull ourselves back up in, in into the competition of, you know, the the right end of the table, not not hanging around the mid table, Maya, then, you know, we we will start to feel a little bit more at ease with ourselves. But I don't know if and when that will come because this season's an absolute mess in terms of the schedule. So I, I can only think of the positive being we've got I think about half a dozen league games to get through between now and the break for the World Cup, if we can show something in them half a dozen games to prove that we're going in the right direction, get a couple of 
decent results, then you know that six-week gap will feel a lot better than what it probably will do where we are at, at this current moment. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that I think Klopp said even before the Arsenal game that Liverpool were out of the title race, and that that's probably the best way for him to be about it because if we start thinking... We, we start getting worked up because we want to win the league and we start and you lose the game and you straight away you're looking at the gap and then maybe you, you, you got it because someone above you drops a point and you don't even pick one up and all these things and it just adds to the pressure and the expectations are sky high at this club and they always have been and I'm sure it's done in, done for a lot of managers in the past as well. I mean, we're not as trigger happy as some clubs with managers but, you know, once that sort of rot starts to take in it can be difficult for it to go away and I don't think we're at that point yet with Klopp but, you know, it's good that he's managing expectations because the league's out of reach unless lots and lots of teams have very bad spells like we've had. So that's highly unlikely. But, you know, we don't want to be so worried about getting to the top of the table that we end up not even getting above halfway, which is kind of where we are now. We want to get back in those Champions League places. And the best way to do that is just to use that old, you know, that old, tired, almost worn out cliche from Liverpool bosses from years and years and years now, all the way through my lifetime, I think, which is taking one game at a time because, you know, you, you do that and you let everyone else get on with what they're doing. You just take each game as it comes and if you can get something out of each game, who knows where you'll be by Christmas, who knows where you'll be by by Easter and who knows where you'll be by the end of the season. But if you start, you know, thinking too much about the bigger picture, then, you know, it can it can really start messing with your head, I'm sure. Um, Virgil was interviewed by BT Sport after the game midweek and he was sort of talking along those lines and, you know, he was quite humble about, about the win. He wasn't sort of boasting about it, but, you know, he's kind of saying that you take one game at a time and the focus was on that Rangers game and now it'll move to the next game, which is, of course, against Man City at the weekend. But but I was I was pleased, I think, with the way we played against Rangers because, OK, we conceded again first which is just depressing but it was just as you say as the game went on we almost started to remember what we can do and what we're capable of and after the bad news with the injuries to Diaz and Trent it was just good to see some sort of good news that you know we saw saw some other you know it's not all bad in defence if you like you know we've got Andy Robbo's back Joe Gomez didn't have a bad run out he even got to move in the middle for a bit just to maybe test him out because in case we need him as as backup in the centre um, it, it was you know there were, there were signs that, that things were improving and I think although everything we say about this game you've got to take into account the state of the opposition um, and the state of the fans that didn't even bother to stay to the end but that's another matter um, the, it, it was just good to see everyone just stepping up a little bit and I mean I've not seen Mo Salah play with that kind of confidence in a long time and it was that it's that instinctive side to him that I feel has been missing. That, you know, whoever he's up against, wherever the challenge, I mean, how we found the net from those positions, it, it's, it's, it's strange, but it feels like it's forever since he's done that. But that's what he used to do all the time. And obviously, as you said, Bobby's done, he's refining his form of late. I wish he was five years younger. But, you know, it, it's encouraging. And, it, and I think we've got to take that, haven't we? We've got to take that as encouragement that, you know, the season might be over in terms of the league, but there's plenty to play for and we need to make sure we're playing for it. Yeah, um like you know we we are realistically up the title race as it currently stands, but you know, a couple of injuries to key players for big teams and a and a turnaround in our fortune and we could well find ourselves back in it because you know, a win at the weekend takes three 
points off City. I don't wholeheartedly believe Arsenal are going to be there much time after Christmas. Um, Spurs are Spurs, and then United and Chelsea are like the other you know nominal contenders, and they're hardly pulling up trees at the moment. So, you know, it would only take a key injury to the likes of Erling Haaland or Kevin De Bruyne, or both. Nice, <laughs> it would be nice <laughs> um, to, to you know completely shoot their team to bits because squad wise they're nowhere near in terms of quality of depth. I don't think of what they've had in you know years gone by when we've been competing with them. Um, so you know you never say never, but right now realistically yeah we're nowhere near. And unless a big change in fortune happens for us, then we we aren't going to get anywhere close. Um, but a win at the weekend and then a little run of four or five wins and you can say without no doubt that you know there will be people talking now oh, we're back in it now we're, we're alive like um but we we just got to play the hands without with it as you say it would be nice if bobby was five years younger it's it's this odd thing that like i don't think we've ever really truly appreciated him as a proper goal scorer. He just seems to find a way to, to be in the right place at the right time. He has the odd moments in games normally against Arsenal. Yeah. Um, but there seems to be like a ruthlessness to him, which maybe it's the fact he's in the last year of his contract and he's determined to get a contract elsewhere or another year or two with us, who knows? But we, we've needed him. Um, and we need our big players to step up. We need the lads who've been there and done it for us. Like as I said, as referenced earlier on with Diaz, um, he was carrying the camp for us. But there's a lot of a lot of players in our team who aren't playing to their level. And if they can raise their level, um, the whole performance will go up naturally. Um, and really, if they can't raise the level going into this game at the weekend, um, after you know basically putting one foot into the next round of the Champions League after Wednesday night's performance, you know, then the, the serious questions have to be asked of the professionalism, really, because if you can't be up for this game, and we know, you know, it's not Everton and it's not United. There are two proper derbies, but Man City are just a team who are currently competing at the top of the league, pretty much like where Chelsea were back in the early 2000s when Roman came in, like that rivalry, but obviously it was heightened with Benitez and Mourinho but Chelsea Liverpool was the, the talk of the town for about four or five six years um, because we faced each other so many times obviously in, in cup competitions and it's City Liverpool at the moment you know it says a lot really that it's always us and someone it's never you know City and Chelsea or, or you know Tottenham and City or something like that it's, it's Liverpool and someone else and as you said at the beginning of the pod we are the biggest best club in the world in our eyes we, are, we might, <laughs> might be biased but you know it, we're the names that people can't get off the lips we're the, we're the ones who are always in their heads and like Mo Salah scored a hat-trick and all of a sudden there's you know people crawling out the woodwork calling Mo Salah this Mo Salah because he scored a couple of goals like that just shows how big we are you know and we know it we might be biased but we are yeah we are big and I think as well I think there's like a sort of like, I mean, we've, we've talked before about social media not really reflecting the real world. And I'm, I'm convinced that maybe it's just the people I meet, but I meet loads of people who don't hate Liverpool, even though they're not Liverpool fans. And it feels like there's this kind of agenda against Liverpool at the time in, in the media and in social media as well that, you know, everyone supposedly hates Liverpool. But 
I, I think people are more likely to hate one of the oil money clubs or more likely to hate, um, you know, a team that, I don't know, maybe, I mean, it's hard. I don't really know anyone who loves Man United that isn't a Man United fan. So that's, that's one, but maybe that's just because I don't notice anyone who doesn't hate Man United unless they're a Man United fan. Maybe some blues actually, they seem to like them, don't they sometimes? But it's, it's just something about this club. It's like, it's, it's, we're proud. We're proud of our club. We're proud of the city the club comes from. And, you know, we welcome people to come and join us and support us and, and come and see the city. Um, although actually at the minute, if you're going to try and come and see the city when it's that Eurovision, you're going to get ripped off. According to the reports, there's all <laughs> kinds of like hotels have gone from like a sensible amount per night to like a grand per night or something. It's yeah, just... I might have my spare room out. Yeah, I was thinking that. Anyone who lives in Liverpool now, like, go away. Go away for a week yourself and... um You'll still have money left over if you rent your place out, but I don't know what are Eurovision people going to be like. And probably nothing left of your spare room at the end of it. Yeah, um, I mean that that was quite a little, you know, good thing for the city. Like again, I think we touched on it last week, really, wasn't it? Because it was between us and Glasgow, and we said, like, you know, the winner of the tie wins the Eurovision. Um, but I couldn't think of a better city in the UK to host Eurovision. We are so connected to Europe more than we are connected to our own country which we reside in um, the, the European Union has done a lot for us as a city it's rebuilt us yeah. into city centre um, from where it was you know from growing up as a kid um, for me like it's completely transformed if anyone had grew up in Liverpool in the 80s and 90s and then came back today mm. like the whole city centre is completely different, apart from you know a few obvious reference points of buildings. Um, you know, we have to mention them, but the Blue Shies are building a nice stadium on the front of the the waterfront, yeah. slightly further than the Graces, but you know we can't have them tarnishing the the reputation of the city and ruining the aesthetic look. But <laughs> they are got a nice. Um, we've got a nice you know, music arena around there, conference centre, Liverpool's ground is developing as we speak and being made more modern in an area that isn't very modern if we, if we are honest about where it is. And just, you know, Eurovision is about music and this city gave arguably the biggest band in the world to come out of it, um, as well as numerous other bands. And like, if you are from the city, then I think you'll, find a connection to music in one way or another because there's such a variety of music but it's it's everywhere you go there's obviously the the local music scene and you know it has liverpool sort of fronts that jamie webster's come out in recent years and he's a he's a driver for for being passionate about the city um, and the music front and i couldn't think of anywhere else you know other cities around the country have had you know bands pop up here and there but European connection I think it, it was perfect it was tailor made for us and if you are a fan of Eurovision it will be a spectacle to behold and if anyone's going to throw a good party the city knows how to do it yeah and it'll go on and it'll go on and it'll go on there'll be like pre-parties post-parties and everything it'll be it'll be a weekend it won't be the one night it'll be a whole probably even a week <laughs> yeah yeah and <laughs> And it'll be talked about for years to come, and probably some people would hope it won't be talked about. But that's that's down to them. I think it's and it's kind of like it's like an off the wall thing, Eurovision. And I think that kind of makes 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 it work well in Liverpool because we kind of we don't do things the way everyone else does. We have our own way of doing things, and everyone, even in the city, has their own way of doing things. And it's just it's just you know it's it. 
I, I mean, I, I go to Manchester quite a bit and Manchester got rebuilt. I mean, I, I'm just following on from what you were saying about the redevelopment in Liverpool. Manchester got rebuilt because of, um, because it got bombed basically and money was put in probably from insurance and things got rebuilt and there's still old stuff. There's some new stuff, but I don't know what it is. There's just, um, you know, I sort of keep myself to myself around there, but it just feels like a totally different vibe around the place. It's not, um, you know, it's it's probably nicer than some parts of the country in 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 terms of how warm the people are and how friendly people are. But this, they're not even close to how friendly Liverpool is. I mean, you know yourself, you walk around town and and people are always happy to help. You're always happy to talk to you. Always happy to take the piss as well. But it's 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 how it is. Any time you go, day or night, people are people are friendly and and welcoming. And in Manchester, it feels I don't know. There's just a different feel to it, and I don't know quite how to explain it but that regeneration has been vital to the city because of course this is the city that got basically told it should go into managed decline the the tories in in the 80s didn't want to do anything with it they just wanted to bin it instead of looking at the problems and thinking how can we fix them it was like you know can't you just do as you're told and until in the end he thought no we just don't want anything to do with you let it let it go to the dogs and it was europe that saved us from that you're right and it's a shame that we aren't part of europe anymore but I think uh, the way the city voted in the in the referendum made it pretty clear that Liverpool wanted to stay part of Europe and I think maybe maybe one day we'll get that little bit of independence from the rest of England that we that we want um and talking about independence from England they were at it again weren't they the Scottish singing all the England songs in midweek um national anthems and all all the rest of it I was genuinely waiting for some kind of dambuster steam tunes to start ringing out well, you know, they damn busted out the ground pretty quickly. Both <laughs> Galway, um, they couldn't wait to fly out of there. But they're, they're an odd bunch. I think we touched on it last week. Um, I couldn't really hear much of them, but the racket they did make it wasn't the best. And you know, listening to to the build up to the game on on different platforms, and you know, listening to podcasts on the AI channel, like was all about this Ibrox atmosphere. And to be honest. Five ten minutes they gave it before the game and as it kicked off and then you know it was lively when they scored but other than that I don't and whether it was just the TV coverage and you know the sound and around the ground stuff but I wouldn't have said that was intimidating you've heard much more intimidating atmospheres and yeah they're they're, they're an odd bunch um, you know the are you that person who has everything the coolest merch. And those must-have fan threads. Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. The, the better off, you know, just competing where they are and, and staying where they are. Maybe, as we said, maybe it's something to do with teams in blue, you know, Everton, Chelsea sort of spring yeah. to mind. Odd bunches of fans who don't really have any sort of resemblance with with what actually is going on on the pitch. They just seem to be more interested in 
being bitter and arguing with each other or arguing with those around them and other. F- so, you know, it was nice to to play there. I think I said before the draw was made. It would be nice to get one of the Scottish teams, just you know, for the whole sort of Britain rivalry sort of thing. And I didn't realize up until we had played them. And we said last week we've not played them competitively, but yeah. there's a reason why because. They can't compete. <laughs> it's quite simple. Yeah. Um, they're not probably going to be in the Champions League next year because they don't at the top end of Scot- Scottish uh, Premier League. So, you know, it was nice while it lasted for them. They had two games in which they got an overall spanking of nine uh, nine one. So, yeah, yeah, coming. Yeah, it was mad, wasn't it? I mean, in the old old European way of playing, then that would have been like um, an easy aggregate win for us. But I think that the effect's pretty much the same. Um, makes you realise now as well that when we were all so devoured about what Napoli did to us, they're actually they're not a bad team. And okay, you've got to beat the best teams if you want to win the thing. But at this stage, it, there's no real shame that we lost to Napoli, even even maybe by that amount. I mean, it was embarrassing the amount we lost by, but there's not that much shame the way they're playing. And by the time Christmas comes and and teams have had changes here, there and everywhere with, with fitness and, and new signings and other sorts of stuff going on in domestic leagues. Who knows what will happen after Christmas? But yeah, I don't think we're going to see a lot more of Rangers in that competition. I think there was a real Everton vibe, though. I totally get what you're saying. Like the Everton vibe, because there's bits of the stands kind of look like Goodison, like the older bits. I don't know why, it just seemed to remind me of Goodison. And then the plastic flags, total Chelsea, the blue the blue tops, Chelsea-Everton again. You know, it, it's... It's a shame for him, but um, it's a it's a pity, really, though, as well in Scotland that two teams have been allowed to have that kind of dominance. Because maybe you know, if it was spread around a little bit more thinly between the other clubs, maybe the the game up there would have actually had more of an impact in Europe rather than it just being these two teams. You just buy the players they need and and keep going and and keep dominating or mostly dominating. But um, good luck to Celtic anyway in the rest of the competition if they're still in it. I've not even looked. No, they're out. No surprise. Good luck in the Europa if you've managed for that. Yeah, Yeah. I think they they can get up. I mean, Rangers aren't like. I think Ajax beat them, Um, and I don't know if if they've got to go to Ajax on the last day. So you know that could be a potential sort of shootout. But if Ajax get a draw against us in the next game, then they're guaranteed Europa. We're guaranteed next round. It could be. You know, a nice handshake and let's all go off happy and play the last game with a a rotated squad, as it would be. Um, but yeah, just just on Napoli, they they do look pretty formidable at the moment. And when you do actually look in context now of what they've done, not only in Europe but in Serie A, like the the Russian teams aside, it, it, it's no shame that they absolutely hammered us there. Like it was not a good performance, but you know. They had a very good team this year, so you know you sort of have to take it with a pinch of salt sometimes, and just say, you know what, they're a good team and we're not at the moment. So yeah, it's it's nothing to be too ashamed of, and I think they come to us on the last game, so it could be a bit of a dead rubber. But mm. if we put a performance in and get you know a win, I think it will go a little bit way to sort of heal on some of them wounds. Yeah, that's it. I mean, if you can get a win, and even if it's not the strongest team, it's there's enough players around the squad that you know this. This it'll be a chance for them to kind of break through and show what they can do, and maybe give the manager some problems because if they're fit, that's that's the problem we've had all season. There's not been there's been no competition for places, no backup for places. Players pro- maybe playing 
more games than they should, maybe too close together, not getting enough rest between games and stuff. And this is, you know, hopefully, hopefully, apart from the couple of obvious exceptions that we've got at the minute, that we can start seeing a bit more of that. Um, one of my favourite moments, I think, of the whole Champions League this season probably was when Harvey Elliott was waiting to see if he'd got his goal from VAR because Mo Salah, the man who recently advised him to eat less bread, was there with him, hugging him as they're waiting for the results to come through. I think it's that 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 was another good sign in a way, though, because the camaraderie in this squad is, is amazing. It's legendary. It's what's given us so much of what we've had. And it was good to see that. I, I was so, in so many ways, I was so pleased to see that. And it, it was a good laugh as well. What was more concerning was the fact that Steve McManaman <laughs> and Fletch come to a decision that the goal was perfectly legal after one view and VAR seems to take two minutes. Um, yeah. That That's concerning if, if them two clowns can see that it's a legal goal from one video clip. How it took uh, the VAR whoever they were on the nice for UEFA that long, then, you know, that was a bit of a concern. But, um, yeah, I I think Mo, once he got them couple of goals and obviously the, the hat-trick then came, you just seen, as I said earlier on, he relaxed a lot more things like the last goal. That's natural Mo Salah. Cut inside, relaxed, open your body up and cut curl into the far corner but then he was so happy for Elliot to get his goal yeah. and he was also trying to set Jotter up because you know Jotter set up three of his in one way or another um, so yeah the, you know they are there together and I think we, we've we all known that this season Mo Salah hasn't really set the world alight but if that's what it took to light a fire under him and, and then Klopp came out himself and said you know when Mo plays inside, he, he's so much more dangerous. Well, play him there. <laughs> like, yeah. he, he, he stop putting him on the wing and, you know, marking the linesman. Put him inside because he was literally the best player in the world 12 months ago. And, you know, you'd be hard pushed to say, like, is he competing as a top 10 winger in the league this season? Um, you know, the, there's other players who've, who've outperformed him across the league and in, in other teams. But, if you can get him playing in that inside channel and that's what he does, then you just do it. You, you find the best out yourself, but you put your most dangerous player in the most dangerous position. Yeah. And then, so. you know, I think it was a, it's just a Shankly quote that said, we put the ball on the back and let me talk about it later or something like that. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. it, yeah. I think it might have been Paisley actually about offside. Um, right. Yeah, but yeah, it's it's true, true. Um, it It's... It's um, it's been a long time coming, but I think I mean I don't want to sort of get too carried away with the seven-one win, but it was it wasn't just the scoreline; it was just the manner of how we how we played, especially in that second half. And I think Klopp said they had a team talk at halftime and sort of just explained what he wanted out of them, and he he, he got it from all, from all all signs of there that he got exactly what he'd asked for out of them, which is more than enough for for what we need. Just when you were talking then about Fletch and and Macca getting um getting it spotted straight away what was going on that reminds me of another pundit just last Sunday I was so I mean it's always difficult listening to Sky Sports commentary because Neville and Tyler it's like I don't know it's like Statler and Waldorf of Old Trafford or something just sitting there moaning about everything but definitely sort of having a go at Liverpool every opportunity they get that's what it feels like anyway and then this little agenda from Neville which in a way the injury is now put on hold for a bit but it was that um you, you saw 
Trent was injured in the first half. They tried to play him on, then he didn't come out, then he was on the bench. And Neville was, hmm, if he was injured, he would be getting treatment, wouldn't he? And like, since when did he do his physio training? What does he know about players getting injured? He's like, he's just trying to stir shit, basically. And there's, there's just no need for it. He's like, does he remember? I mean, we've said before about Rob Jones making Gary Neville the player he is by getting injured. Because Neville would never have had the recognition he got if he'd have, uh, if he'd had Rob Jones to compete against. But that, that's just, it's just sour grapes, stirring things up, sensationalism. You know, when did he become a physio? Not only that, Trent's ankle was, you know, folded in half next year. <laughs> <laughs> and then he, he sat on the bench. How does he not know he's, he's not got a strap on his foot? Like, can he see down from that lofty position? Or does he got to see past Martin Tyler's fat head to, you know, see what, <laughs> what, what Trent's doing? Sat on a bench in a long coat with his feet probably tucked under the seat. Like, he could have had anything on that leg and he can't see it from where he is. Um, so yeah, it's it's sensationalism and you know it's it's narrative and it, it fits their sort of you know profile of if we can pick on a player and highlight a weakness in you know in certain commas, but we all know he he is having a little bit of a tougher time at the moment. But I think Trent come out himself and said he doesn't like to play that way anyway. He plays the game. He doesn't like to play the position and. Yeah. Klopp's backed them up and said, like, he creates so much going forwards for us. That's the, the gamble we take. And um, on Wednesday night, we had we had Gomez there, a different type of player. But if Trent had been the one whipping that ball and that Gomez did for Bobby Firmino's goal, then I think, you know, the back pages would have been plastered with how great an assist it was. Because, you know, again, we're that big, our players are that popular, it sells, it makes a click, you know, it, it's just how it works. But yeah, me, I I won't be listening to Gary Neville because I'll have the, you know, the privilege of being in the ground on Saturday, but it'd be interesting to what he says about Joe Gomez playing right back and, you know, how he tries to steer that narrative. Or the reality probably will be he just leaves him alone because, you know, it's not a big enough story, it's not a big enough name. Joe Gomez will just go in there and give whatever performance he gives and it won't be big enough because his name isn't Trent Alexander-Arnold and let's be honest, Gary Neville couldn't lace, lace Trent's left boost, never mind his right boost, so yeah, the, the, the less said about him and, and Martin Tyler, the better and yeah, unfortunately those people who have got to endure their, their dour wisdom on Sunday, um, I'm sorry for that <laughs> if you can find an American stream it's probably better off finding that yeah, definitely. Even if it's one of the ones where they call it soccer all the time, which, you know, it's, you, you can deal yeah. with that. And nothing against the word soccer, by the way. It was actually invented over here, I'm pretty sure. It was short for association football, but that's that's another story. Um, yeah, I think the other thing, just quickly on Neville, what's crossed my mind is we always say how Rob Jones keeps him out of the side when he's playing. Like, Rob Jones keeps him out the side if he's fit, keeps him out the England side. Back then, if he if, if Neville was playing today, he wouldn't get in the squad, would he? You know, this this talk about all these England right backs and who should be the best for them. I mean, Neville wouldn't get into that mix. I'm pretty sure of it. So, um, and probably the stuff with the physio. Maybe every time he got an injury, he needed lots of treatments on it just to keep him quiet. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I. But he still doesn't shut up now, does he? If there's a treatment to shut him up, that'd be handy. Um, yeah, it just. 
you know, the flavour of the month. I think I was listening to, I want to say, Scouted or Raw. I've listened to both of them over the last 12 hours, one in last night and one in this morning. Um, and I think it was Dave was saying, like, just the level of punditry in this country is so bad. Like, mm-hmm. um, I think it, it was referring to uh, Alan Hutton and his so-called Rangers, Liverpool combined 11. Um, so it probably was scouts actually with Carl this morning. Um, and just, you know, the, these these idiots of players who were getting, you know, the, the airtime, the, you know, the, the spaces on in columns to to put these words out there in such weird, weird views. Like, you know, Mac Manimum doesn't inspire you as a commentator. Neville... He, he can do okay analysis, but what is that all the uh, like shouting yeah. about Carragher is awful on the microphone. You know, if we could just clone Peter Drury, who is on the American channels for then anyone who does yeah. get a stream, you'll enjoy the game so much more. It could be a nil nil, it could be absolutely dire, but Peter Drury will make you feel like you are watching the most exciting game of the year uh, weekend. So I don't know if if we can somehow get him on English TV commentary, but he, he is the only fellow worth listening to. But there's a couple of you know pundits out there, and he did reference him right earlier on, and I do like him, and I think he has got a weird soft spot for Liverpool. But I like he, he he does seem to say quite a lot of you know good things, and he's he's level headed, and he's across all levels of football, and like men's and women's. So he's probably one of the only decent ones really use on the television rounds and you know what what is a shame is they all get recycled between each other's channels like BBC and ITV share those with Sky and BT so you end up with the same clowns on the same channels which is not great but hey ho here, here we are and I think the only thing we can look forward to is the World Cup they do sort of bring in a few foreign players so you might get a different flavour um, when that comes round, if that's you know what's going to tickle your pickle for six weeks, yeah, we've also got Amazon to look forward to one of the weeks, haven't we? I think there's one of the they're having one of the weeks. It might be next weekend, the weekend after. I think it's coming uh, soon. So we get... possibly because we got a man, we got West Ham midweek. It could be that midweek round of fixtures. That they yeah, get the hands on. So that's good. Where you like you get um, if you're watching it on TV, you get score updates off Twitter before before you see it on the TV because there's a lag because you are watching a stream rather than actual live TV. But never mind. Um, you just don't look at your phone for a bit. It doesn't do you any good anyway, does it? Looking at your phone during the match, it just winds you up even more. So try I try not to sometimes. But um, the other thing as well, actually, when we t- just just very very quickly on Sky as well, this guy can do better. I mean, I'm not saying it's perfect, but. And I'm not sort of a massive F1 fan, but I've, I've watched bits and pieces and I got up early and, and watched the stuff on Sunday from Japan. So it was on early, early doors, probably the time of day when you're least likely to have any patience with dodgy commentary. But, um, and even though it was, it was a strange, a strange, um, race that was held up for ages because of rain and they had to do a lot of filling. It was still entertaining to watch. It wasn't sensationalizing. Um, you know, they, they, they sort of try and, they're very even-handed. They're not. They don't come across as biased, even even though it's um, sort of a British co- uh, coverage with lots of British drivers. They still try and be sort of even-handed about everyone. And um, I'm not saying it's perfect, but there's a lot that the Sky Football lot 
could learn from just watching what they do and maybe taking a leaf out of their book because it's it's totally different attitude, totally different professionalism. Maybe Sky is just trying too hard to be like, I don't know, be like the sun or something because that's what they come across like at times are that bad. So hopefully that changes. But this weekend, of course, if we have to watch it on TV, if we're not lucky enough to be there, we've got to put up with Sky in this country, but at least it's on telly. But it's always going to be on telly. It's one of the biggest games of the season. Um Guardiola still says Liverpool are the biggest threat to their title and apparently Klopp said something along the lines of we might still um this might still be a title decider but not for us so it is a massive game but we, we've got to be disruptors haven't we this weekend yeah and I think the result is obviously the biggest sort of aspect in, in any game of football because winning matches there's no better feeling and losing matches there's no worse feeling um but I think a performance is key in this game. If again, if we come out of that game and we we take a draw, we take a draw. That'll be lovely. If we take a win, that'll be magnificent. But if we have to just see a performance from the lads, because you know we've shown in fits and starts, and you know there was moments in the Arsenal game where we were very good. There was moments in that game where we were very scrappy, very panicked, and the Rangers game the same. Like for the, for a the short spell. Rangers did have the tails up a little bit, but you know, as as time went on, the quality shone through, and the the quality level between Rangers and Man City is, is worlds apart. So we've got to raise our game again to compete with them realistically on on their level. But if you see one hundred and ten percent from every man on the pitch who may play in a red shirt that day, I don't think you'll hear many complaints really um, from from a level headed fan anyway. Like, mm. We go out there and we lose the game, but we've lost in a manner where we've given absolutely everything and we couldn't do no more. It might have just been, you know, a sensational goal or, you know, heaven forbid, one of these stupid VAR decisions or a referee decision. Then, you know, so be it. I think if the if the performance is there and we can walk up the ground or you can sit down after the game and, you know, see that we've given all that we can. And then that'll be enough, I think, really. And the results will be what it is. Um, we just need to see something going forward because this season so far has been an absolute mess. Um, I don't really know where, where we where we begin to line up and what we what we put out there. Um, but you know, we've got to come up with something. And Pep is right; we are probably the best team in the league to compete with them. But right now, we're not. Um, and Klopp again is spot on. He's, he's stuck with that line. Obviously, we are, as we as we currently stand, well up the title race. But we can have a big say on it. And you know, if we can we can put a marker down on them, and that puts us in good stead for the rest of the you know the games before the World Cup, then then that'll do for me. Um, you know, a win would be lovely, but you can't have everything in this world, can we? No, we can't. I mean. I think the, the attitude has got to be right. I think something I've, I mean, I've, and I probably feel like I'm turning into a broken record saying this, but the, the thing I've always admired about Klopp and the way you got Liverpool playing is that when you get a setback, you pick yourselves up and you deal with it. You get over it because things happen. And he's even said that in his, in his most recent press conference about us conceding first against Rangers. He said it's a concern, but these things can happen. In other words, you know, don't don't feel so totally devastated that that's it, it's gone in, you're not going to get back to it. You know, whatever's left in a game, there's, you know, maybe 70 minutes left in a game, there may be 10 minutes left in a game. 
you've got a chance to get some goals in that time. You've got a chance to create some actual chances in that game. And you've just got to pick yourselves up and get on with it. And it's, it's, it's that kind of almost like we'd forgotten all of this. And I think the way we played against Rangers, we kind of remembered it. You know, we didn't let them get back at us other than that goal. We didn't really have much chances after that. And okay, again, sort of with the obvious proviso that this was only Rangers, it's still something about the way Liverpool play that when we're having bad days, we can even let teams like Rangers in against us far too often, far too close for comfort. Um, it's, it's been, um, obviously really, I think, who the danger man is for City this season. That's Erlen Haaland. And I think there's so much focus on him that you can easily think, well, what do we do? How do we stop him? But as, as I've always thought with Liverpool teams in recent years, you focus all you want on that one player, then you keep all your eye on Mo Salah, you keep Mo Salah quiet. But, you know, in years gone by, we've got Sadio will come in, we've got, um, you know, Trent will get one, you know, just, Keep your eye on, on Salah all you want, but we've got a load of other players on that pitch. You can make a difference. And that's definitely the case with City. And Klopp's actually said, you know, if you close Haaland down with too many players, then you open up gaps for all the other world-class players. So, you know, he knows that we've not got to just focus on that guy. But, I mean, the way he's played for his boyhood, the club he supported as a kid because of his dad, he's, he's a definite threat to, um, to that three points on Sunday. Yeah, well, just to... To reference my current workplace, if you the supply chain is broken, yeah, you can't produce the end product. And for all that Alan Harland has done, which is weirdly off the charts in in his what fifteen games or something like that, or not even probably that, probably about twelve games he's played because he was resting midweek um, across all competitions. If he's got fifteen goals in the league, he barely touches the ball. Mm. He just finds himself in the right place at the right time. If you can stop the supply chain to him, then you're automatically minimalising the, you know, the output chance that of him getting goals. Um, easier said than done, obviously, because City have got some of the best creative players in the world. Never mind in the league. Um, we all know the, the quality of Kevin De Bruyne. Phil Foden, for all his madness, is a good player. Um, <laughs> Bernardo Silva is a little shit. And then Riyad Mahrez on his day, we all know what he's going to do. It's just stopping it. And then, you know, they've got other good players in the team, like the likes of Gundogan and Rodri, who can thread balls through the eye of a needle if they want to. So, you know, they've got so many weapons, you cannot stop them all. But if you can limit the amount of supply to that big fella up top, then, you know, your chances of getting someone else the game go up a little bit more um, you know as you say you, you can't sit and mark him all game but I think we've got two fellas at the back there who are probably built to actually compete with them there's not many other play, players in the league like Sandro Martinez for example he had no chance against Aaron Carland but Ibu Kanate and Virgil van Dijk, big strapping lads, strong, powerful, fast, good in the air, good on the ball. You know, Erling Haaland isn't the greatest on the ball and Darwin Nunes has been slaughtered for, you know, his control and his touch around the box and whatever. But Erling Haaland isn't exactly this graceful footballer. Piece of Crouch had more grace and touch than him. Um, yeah. But he just seems to know where the back of the net is. And I say... We've got two lads there physically who may be able to deal with them, but the supply chain is where we've got to operate. 
most. And again, that is highlighting the midfield. We need to get that right on whatever we line up in, whatever shape, whatever players go out there, they've got to do their jobs to the utmost because it all it takes, as we've seen, is one lapse in concentration and we're 1-0 down. And with City, a couple of lapses in concentration, it won't be 1-0, it'll be 3 or 4-0 and the game will be dead before, you know, We've even realised where we are. Yeah, and hopefully we're not all walking out though with like twenty minutes to go, like uh, like we saw the other night. I think that's right though with with Harlan. And I think I wonder. I mean, it's only a. I wouldn't want it necessarily, but if you swapped Nunes for Harland, if if we'd bought him and they'd bought him, you know, and swapping round, would Harland have had as good a season with the way our supply lines been this season? And would Nunes had a, would he have had a much better one the way their supply lines been this season? And I think so. I think. They both have had very different fortunes this season. That's what we need to get right then. We, as well as blocking that supply line off for them, we need to make sure we've got a supply line for Nunez when he's playing. You know, plays like Mo Salah are almost their own supply line at times, especially when they play like he did the other night. But, you know, it's, it's just it's just about getting everything right front to back, not sort of focusing so much on one thing that you forget about another. And I think, you know, that's maybe, if anything, has been our issue this season. We're so busy looking what's in front of us and trying to score, we're just letting them in the back door because we didn't notice it was unlocked. And we've we've got to change that way and change our attitudes on that. And I think I agree 100% as well. If you see every single player in red fighting for that victory and every single, you know, not every single, but most of the voices in the in the ground um, in red cheering them on and getting behind the team and, you know, making the life difficult for the ref. I mean, that ref last week, as bad as he was, you know, maybe he was taken aback by the fact there was actually some atmosphere at, at Arsenal, <laughs> you know, and he wasn't expecting it and it sort of put him off a bit. But, you know, maybe make sure there's an atmosphere at Anfield on Sunday. So any any sort of difficult decisions for the ref, he's had a big voice in his ear telling him which way to go with it because, you know, these things can make a huge difference. And I don't know, I'm, it's a frightening game the way we've been playing and the way they've been playing, but I've got a lot of confidence, a lot of confidence. I'm not going to ask you for predictions, I don't think, although you're welcome to do one. Um would you take a draw still, or after losing last week, do you think we need the win? I'd take a draw right now if offered. Yeah. Um, I do think there's a there's a world in which we we sneak a win. Um, you know, if if you asked me for a score, I would say three two would would possibly be where I would lay a couple of quid if it was going to put some money down on on a score um, for us. Yeah, it would have to be you know a, a late a late winner, sort of like the last 10 minutes of the game and we would then be hanging on and literally biting down to our glove. Um, uh, sorry, to our cuffs of our T-shirts and biting down your fingernails. <laughs> if you're wearing gloves, because it might be a bit nippy on the day. You know, it's that time of year these days where the, the temperatures are fresh in the morning, lovely in the afternoon, but by the time that game's finished, it will be a bit, bit, uh, bit chilly in the air, but hopefully the atmosphere will be red hot. And I think... You know the the reintroduction of Andy Robertson, as as good as Costas can be, I, Andy Robertson just brings that extra something, that little bit of spice. We know he will leave something on the player, and that is enough to ignite the crowd. The other night, Kanate went through someone about two or three minutes into the game. Absolutely fair challenge, by the way. Won the ball, took the man with him, but won the ball. Referee couldn't wait to blow his whistle and give a foul, and then there was a couple of moody Rangers ones where they were leaving little studs in, and you know the referee turned the blind eye. That hopefully, hopefully, with Shaw's Anthony Taylor 
will not be like that at the weekend. Um, for those who don't know where Wivenshaw is, just Google it, and it's very close to Greater, uh, well, it's in Greater Manchester. It's very close to the city of Manchester city centre. Yeah, if people um, from Wivenshaw go on holiday and you ask them where they're from, they're going to say Manchester, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. It's like, you know, it's you don't know where Wivenshaw is, but if you say where Manchester is, then there you go. The answer's self-explanatory. But, you know, a nice Canasse challenge or Van Dijk early on Erling Haaland will get the crowd up. Um, I'd imagine it'd be vociferous anyway because, you know, if you can't get up for this Man City game, then you shouldn't be really entering the ground. I'm, I'm sorry. That's my point of view. Yeah. Uh, you want to go there and just, you know, sit in your seat and enjoy a game of football, then there's plenty of pubs around the city. If you just want to go and sit down and have a nice little bite to eat and enjoy the football on the screen, then then that's probably more your liking. Yeah, give your uh, tickets to someone else if you like that. Like, if you're asking for 110% off the lads on the pitch, you've got to be giving it yourself in the ground, um, in the stands. So, you know, it works hand in hand. Um, I'm I'm not overly confident of a win. I could see a world where we can. But yeah, if offered a draw, I would shake your hand that one take you. Yeah, definitely. I think, yeah, I mean, we'd, we'd be happy with the draw. I'm already starting to get that mixed feeling that you get, um, that, that mixture of fear, excitement and everything all, all sort of all, all jumbled together where you're getting ready for a game like this. And that's, that's what it, what it's about. And when you're at the ground, that's how you let it out. You do all the shouting, all the singing and all that nervous energy just comes out and gets you behind the team. And if you can't do that at a game, to be honest with you, I don't know. You might be better off going the pit, going the pitches or something, you know, because you don't need to make a din in the pitches when exciting things happen. You can just sit quietly and eat your popcorn or whatever. If that's that's the kind of entertainment you like, and I, how you like to be entertained, go and do that. There's only so many people are privileged to get a, a place in a seat at Anfield in every game, and there's countless, countless more who would take that seat off you for anything. Um, so you know, use it wisely if you've got one. Get behind the team, even if behind the scenes you think. We're a bit crap, aren't we? Don't don't ever give that impression while you're in the ground. Get behind the team 100%. Me, I think it's going to be a close one. And ever the optimist, I think we can win it. Because I think if we play to the best of our abilities, we can beat any team that's put in front of us. So that's the big if. Can we play to the best of our abilities? And as you've just said, and as, as it is with the fans and with everyone, if you can't give everything in a game like this, then why are you even in that position? So hope you... Uh, wherever you are watching the game from this weekend, I hope you enjoy it. I hope you come out of it with a massive smile on your face. Um, and even if you sat at home watching it on the other side of the world, get all that nervous energy out, start shouting, frighten your neighbour's cat if you have to. Because um, you never know. Maybe it's a bit like that thing about if a butterfly flaps its wings in the forest, does it really flap its wings? I can't even remember what the saying is. If you make a din <laughs> in the other side of the world, in support of Liverpool, it'll help us win the game. And that's what we want to do. But for now... For me and Jay, that's it. We'll be back again soon and hopefully with big smiles on our faces too. But thanks for listening. See you soon. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, 
we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.